0: Sorry, I forgot to push the button. (coughs) Ah, The weekend began around 9 o'clock on a Thursday. Introductions were all finished. People had taken their bags to the rooms and unpacked. Dinner had been eaten and the dishes had been washed and put away and the common room was now ready for everybody to gather in. And the gentleman who led that weekend said that they were going to show a short video, and then after the video was over, he asked everyone go quietly to their room and maintain silence until the next morning after morning prayer. They dimmed the lights, and they started the video. There was dialogue in the video, but not very much, and it was not essential. You could have been deaf and known exactly what that video was about. It opens up with a family, a typical middle class white family with two parents present in a two-story house in a small town, arguing in the dining room. And you see the argument and the parents, you know, persuading, trying to persuade their teenage son to do something, we don't know what, and the son getting angry and stopping up to his room and slamming his door. Eventually the sky darkens, the parents go to bed and the son is still pacing his room, muttering under his breath about his stupid parents. And then he gets, uh, opens a drawer and he puts clothes from his drawer in a backpack and he quietly opens the door to his room, sneaks out, goes down the stairs, out the front door and goes to the bus station and hops a bus. And he drives or rides and rides and rides far, far away to some large city. When he gets there, he gets himself, he has some money, so he gets himself a small room with nothing but a twin bed, bathroom is down the hall, in a grungy part of town, and he goes, he tries to get a job. We see him day after day going to businesses, and we see the business owners shaking their heads, and he goes to another one. And then he gets beat up one night, so he starts staying in his room, And you can see the the facial expression changing from, like, ha-ha, I'm the king of the world to despair. And eventually, apparently, the money runs out, and he goes down to the desk clerk in that grungy hotel and borrows a piece of paper and a pen, and he writes a letter, a note, and the camera goes over his shoulder, and we can see that he's writing, Dear Mom and Dad, I want to come home. If you'll let me come home please leave the porch light on. And he signs his name, puts it in the envelope, borrows a stamp from the desk clerk and drops it in a mailbox. And next we see him on a bus doing the reverse journey. We see him riding and riding and riding and we see the sunset and nightfall and he falls asleep with his face against the window. But when the bus makes a sharp turn, he wakes up and he realizes that's his town. And you can see his face get a little animated as he looks out the window. And when the bus turns onto his street, he presses his face against the window, looking down the street to see what's going to happen when he gets to his house. And then the camera changes, and we're looking just at his face, which is dark. And then it becomes light. It's illumined. And again, the camera switches really fast and comes from behind his head and looks over his head out the bus window. And we see that house, that two-story house with the porch light on and every single window lit. The people get up and they go to bed because that's the end of the movie. And without any words being spoken, by the leader of that weekend, everybody there knows that this is the story of the prodigal son. And they are left to spend the rest of that night wondering, am I lost? Can I be found? And and if I am found, will there be a welcome for me? That was how the Diocese of West Texas used to begin, and maybe they still do, I don't know. I haven't been in the Diocese of West Texas for a long time, but that's how they used to begin their Curcio Weekends. Well, Deacon Ed helped me out today, I mean at this service. I read The Prodigal Son myself at the eight o'clock service, but there isn't any way to separate those three stories. I disrespectfully, no, I guess I respectfully disagree with, sorry about that, respectfully disagree with the lectionary readers, writers, choosers, that they didn't put all three together because the prodigal son is the grand finale to three parables of lostness and foundness. And I just couldn't preach without the prodigal son. The writer of Luke tells us that there is one lost sheep out of a hundred, and the shepherd, goes looking for that one lost sheep. I could do a whole nother sermon about the irresponsibility of the shepherd, leaving 99, who are for sure gonna be lost by the time he gets back with the one. Um, And then he goes on to tell us about a woman, and this is egalitarian Luke. Luke usually tells a story with a man, and then another story very similar with a woman. And so now we have a woman who has 10 coins, and she loses one, and she sweeps and sweeps and looks in all the corners until she finds it, and then she rejoices. The shepherd, I forgot to tell you about that, too. The shepherd, when he came back, had a celebration. He invited all his male friends over, and they had a barbecue, not with a sheep, probably with some goat, but... <laughs> They had a barbecue and celebrated the return of the lost sheep. And this woman probably had a different type of celebration, but she too invited all of her female friends to come and celebrate the finding of that one lost coin. But Luke also says something that doesn't make a lot of sense. He says that Jesus compares the finding of the lost sheep and the lost coin to a sinner who repents and all the joy in heaven at that happening. Well, I have a book that I bought a couple of years ago when it was the topic for the um, brown bag theology. It's by Amy Jill Levine, and it's called Short Stories by Jesus, and it's a Jewish look at some of the parables. Miss Levine is all over that. She says, sheep can't repent, and coins can't even lose themselves. So what is this thing about repentance, sinners? Hogwash. She doesn't say it quite that badly, but but she does. She says it's, it's not true. And certainly in first century, in first century um, Israel, she said the Jews would have seen the shepherd as a shepherd and the woman as a woman and the father and the thing as a father, but none of them would have been God. So that's a little bit different from what we often hear. And then she goes on to disavow something that I have read in many commentaries and that I heard when I was at Seminary of the Southwest, that when the younger son in the, in the parable of the prodigal son asks for his inheritance, he is basically wishing his father dead. And that is metaphorical murder. She says, oh, pooh! There are places in ancient Jewish literature where that was okay. It's not... It's not the greatest thing, but it's okay, and there are even ways to do it. The father has the right, in one reference that she gave, to say no or yes. What she didn't say, but what I think most Southerners would say, is it was still, it was awfully tacky. The parable of that prodigal son is a little bit different from the first two that we heard today because in the first two um, the shepherd and the woman lose their stuff. But the father doesn't lose his son. He didn't leave that son somewhere. The son chooses to become lost. The one thing that is in common with all of those parables is celebration when the lost is found. Celebration. There is rejoicing. There is joyfulness and the one's who find are the ones who initiate the rejoicing. And this is pretty important because in Luke 14, 15 through 25, which we did not get in our lectionary, I don't know why, it's a really famous story, but we didn't, so if you're feeling guilty because you don't remember, you're off the hook. Um, It talks about a man who has a great banquet and he's got tons of food. And he sends his servant out to to invite his guests. And the guests have very good, legitimate reasons for not coming. I'm not sure they're legitimate for not coming to a party. They are legitimate for not going to war. One guy says, I have a new wife. I can't come to a party tonight. Another one says, he has a new vineyard. Can't come. And so the servant comes home and says, nobody's coming. And the man says, well, then go out. Bring in the lame and the blind and the poor. Bring them in. And so he does. But then it's still, the house is still not full. And this man who's giving a banquet says, make them come in. Go out into the hedges. Go out into the highways. Not just the roads in town, but the highways. And bring them in. And here's the good news. Because I want my house to be full. And so we have that in Luke 14 and we hardly finish that story when we get these lessons from today before the Pharisees are grumbling about the riffraff that's following Jesus and the fact that Jesus lets that riffraff follow him uh, it seems like the kingdom of heaven according to these three stories and the one in Luke 14 is all about a banquet where the lost and the found and everyone else celebrate well, I taught math for 20-something years, and I am not a mathematician. I am not good with the theory of math. But I love to play and to notice numbers. For example, maybe some of you are, would join me. You love it when it's 1111 11 on the digital clock, 1111, or even 1234, 1234. I get a kick out of that. And so I noticed. In this lesson, I thought, huh, 100 sheep, one lost, that's 1%. 10 coins, one lost, that's 10%. It's going up. And then the prodigal son has, the, the father and the prodigal son has two sons, one lost, 50%. And I began to wonder, has anybody lost 100% and found it again. Well, yeah, some of you are probably already thinking, who did? God. Our God, whom we worship on Sundays, watched his son carry a cross, watched him nailed to it, watched him die. Our God lost everything when Jesus died. And then three days later, when that lost son came to life again, there was a celebration to beat all celebrations. It was so big that cowards who were huddling in the upper room suddenly found themselves orators and brave men who could go and Give a speech that converted 3,000 people. And that celebration continues today. Still, all these years later, lives are being transformed. And so it goes on in such a way that if anybody's lost, they can know for sure that the house is there and all the lights are lit for them. Amen.